The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Jeff Maciolik here to announce show number 70's The Speaker's Lounge, recorded live Thursday, July 1st. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now offering hands-on BB.NET and ASP.NET classes remotely. Online at www.franklins.net and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.net web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com and by Dundas Chart. Advanced technology, advanced results. Online at www.tundaschart.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man with all the flavor of donuts and zero net carbs, Carl Franklin! Hey. Jeff's getting better. I don't know what you think, Rory, but I think I think Jeff's getting really good at this announcing role that he's fallen into. I actually, I love Jeff in the announcing role. I think he's really good. Yeah, he is. He's got that you know, radio he, voice, he, he you know? A, yeah, it's a nice, deep, sort of baritone cool voice. Yeah. Unlike us, you know, we're just trying to <laughs> totally find dead. our way around here. So how you doing, my, my yeah. co-host, my partner in crime, Rory Blythe, out there in Portland? Yeah. How are you? Well, <laughs> after that intro, I'm doing. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, the world I'm wants to know how you're week. feeling. Yeah, uh, my brain has been getting adjusted to the antidepressants this week, which has been a totally fascinating up and down mental chemistry roller coaster ride. Um, but today, I've actually felt pretty good. Although I do occasionally have to nail myself with some tranquilizers, like no kidding. Uh, for the most part, it's been pretty good. And I'm already starting to feel a little tiny bit better. And so I'm really positive about this stuff. And I'm, it, it's so nice to just feel a little bit better. That's great. So I'd say yeah. Overall, yeah, overall, I'm better. I actually posted today on my blog. Oh, wow. So I didn't see that. Cool. Yeah. The, the first one since, well, I don't know, maybe like 20, 20 days, 21 days or something. Wow. Good so job, man. Back. And, oh, I'm uh, glad to I'm know that, you know, science works. So. <laughs> well, they, they don't actually some. know why. All the literature that I read on these drugs, everybody just says, no, nobody really knows why this stuff works. We just took a pile of it and we took a room full of monkeys and we kind of stuck everything together. And, you know, the results were pretty good. The monkey seemed happy. So we put it in pill form, colored it purple and gave it a cool name, put an ad for it on TV. And now you're taking it. So, wow. so I guess I'm glad that the advertising worked. Yes. Yeah, you yeah. know, they got the right product to me. 
That's but good. Yeah. So how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Actually, this has been a fun week because um, I've been doing nothing but coding and sleeping and eating and showering. It's really all I've been doing all week. Um, my Divided wife's, evenly between those things? Yeah. My, my oldest daughter's on a trip with her grandmother. My cool. uh, wife has been off work and bonding with my little daughter. And uh, I've been basically just writing code, writing and sleeping. And actually been sleeping during the day, working at night. It's been great. I can't tell you nice. how long it's been since I've done the all-night you know, coding in total deprivation from everybody, you know, <laughs> just nobody around. And uh, yeah, man, I just had so much fun this week. So doing that, uh, working on Zeep Chat, you know, getting a, a really good yep. version. As it turns out, there are some people around here because Yahoo and AOL are getting out of the enterprise uh, chat business because uh, they couldn't really sell it. They couldn't make enough money on it. That there's a, a sort of a hole in the market there. So there's some people actually who have been contacting me and looking for a solution. So, wow. So yeah. So it's been fun. It's not all not all just fun and games. And um, what else? Uh, band was practicing this week. We've uh, yeah. We my band is kind of like you know everybody asks me oh where do you play you know like we go out and we play the twist and Johnny Be Good or or whatever eighty songs all night. But uh, the band that I'm in now is the Franklin Brothers Band, and it's all originals. And we're all computer guys. My brother's Java programmer. My drummer is, uh, you know, a pro, a developer manager, development manager, an insurance company. And uh, my bass player is the network administrator at the Mohegan Sun Casino. <laughs> so we're like, uh, we're like, uh, you know, totally. Geek heads. So anyway, we all have jobs and we don't do, we don't play out for a living. So we have the time. We've had like two and a half years to get together a couple times a month or once a month and work on original tunes. And man, that's been a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So we got a couple of pieces of mail. Got a couple of pieces of mail this week. Uh, one of them was interesting. I mean, we, we're in over 55 countries all over the world. And uh, people from all over the world listen to .NET Rocks, and that's really cool. But I got this email last week from Dmitry Malenko, and he says, Hey, Carl, last week was the first show I've listened to live. It wasn't so easy. Show begins at 5 a.m. local time. At first, I was afraid it's not going to work on my dial-up line, but fortunately, it did pretty good. You sounded so upset when saying there was no emails for this week, I decided to drop you a note. Well, I wasn't upset, just a little surprised, because, you know, we had been having lots of email up to that point. Uh, just to let you know that I and a couple of my colleagues here in, in, let me, it's in the Ukraine, but let me, Dnipropetrovsk, D-N-I-P-R-O-P-E-T-R-O-V-S-K, Ukraine, do not miss a single show. Yeah, that's true. You can be, uh, add one more country to the list of .NET Rocks listeners. Last show was really great. All those flying cars sounding like jumping boots I've come across over the internet <laughs> someday. My cheers to Rory. Keep up the good work, guys. Thank you. Best regards, Dmitry Malenko. Well, you can expect a uh, a serious .NET Rocks mug with mugs on it. Dmitry, thanks. And one more email from uh, Dan who says, Hey, Carl and Rory, thanks for reading my X1 Gator uh, somewhat obscene uh, email on the air. My car ended up in a ditch on the way home when that came out of my Archos. My wife wasn't impressed, but she's a first grade teacher and a bit more clean cut. This might sound lame, 
But the things I think about in therapy, what do coders' wives do for a living? What kind of person does it take to be with a coder? Maybe you could do a mini cheesy poll in your class or on .NET Rocks. I don't know. Keep up the great work on .NET Rocks. I think Rory's current events is a great idea, too. Rory, if you think dog food smells good, wait till you try, um, I mean smell, yeah, smell, begging strips. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard time explaining to the wife why we buy so many of these when we don't own a dog, and she knows our cats don't <laughs> like them either. Also, grab a bag of beef jerky, give the jerky to a hungry bum, and then add the begging strips to the bag. Your coworkers won't whisper behind your back unless they try to sneak a bit when you're in the can or something. <laughs> yum, yum. You guys rock. <laughs> <laughs> yes, get well soon, Rory. And you know, Dan, it's just because I know you're kidding that I'm laughing. But otherwise, I'd have you committed. Begging strips. <laughs> well, no, some of, some of these dog jerky treats do smell really good. Like they smell really, really good. I actually know what he's talking about. There's a temptation to it that you don't want to discuss with people, but it's there. Yeah, I guess they have it's to smell good. That's how they. Really the dogs good. don't buy them after all. You know, people buy them. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Well, anyway, now is the time in our show when we do a little segment we call the Google Weirdos, ladies and gentlemen. Weirdos, 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 weirdos. And if you want to understand what Google Weirdos is, go up to our website, www.franklins.net slash .net rocks, and there's a link there. What is Google Weirdos if you absolutely have no clue? Because we're sick of explaining it, frankly. <laughs> yeah. So, what are okay. the Google? What are the shouts outs for this week, Rory? The shouts outs for this week, actually, for the month, because I don't think we've done Google Weirdos in a while. This is maybe been like two or three weeks. Um, the shouts outs are. I think I might have read this one before, but I liked it so much that I'm doing it again. Okay. Rory is the bubble boy of the .NET world. <laughs> I love that one. You know, because I kind of am. Right, the yeah. boy in the bubble. Next shouts out is Rory had to get my Google shout out from Mark Kenyon. So what's up, Mark Kenyon? Hey. Uh, next one is Rory Blythe, how to get a date with Tim Ewald. Um, you might what? start by asking his wife uh, <laughs> how she feels about it. Yeah, he is rather married and rather father-ish at the moment. Hmm. Um, Rory Blythe, are you gay? Of course not. Oh, Rory Blythe is my pet monkey gay. He goes out with a male rat. I don't know what that meant because grammatically... It's just not set up in such a way that it lends itself to being understood. Um, I just wanted to say that whoever you are, if you forward me your contact information, I can get you in touch with my neurologist. Next one is, Blythe, does this Google search work? Yes, it does. Next one is, huh. I love giving you extra cheese, Rory. And that's not like really, really weird. But what creeps me out is I do go to a few different pizza joints around here. And it, that may be what you know, it is. You just can't help but wonder, is it one of these people that I've kind of partially befriended who works at one of these pizza joints? And is it really extra? Because I've never noticed extra cheese. Is you it haven't. like something else? Is that, I don't know what it is. It's kind of creepy. Could be I, cheese I, no, I'm, in I'm a really not saying anything. I, I don't know what it cheese is. Cheese in a metaphorical I, it's, sense. It's, it's really <laughs> sinister. That could be so, evil. Uh, that is, that, that's the shouts outs. The Google weirdos. We start with uh, gay Mormon dentists. It's hmm. a very particular hmm. market there. Yeah, uh, the next one is lip, lifting and carrying donkey. Uh, <laughs> Not you know, a donkey. You know, lift, with your, lift with your knees, you know, <laughs> lift with your legs, don't lift with your back. That's Wait a minute. You know what's that. interesting about that is it's not a donkey. It's like donkey, like donkey meat, <laughs> you know, like lifting hamburger, lifting no, chicken. No, I can see that, you yeah. Know? 
Yeah, lifting donkey. Lifting donkey in general. In general. Just, yeah, not a donkey, but donkey. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Next one is girls lifting and carrying safety. Um, I would say ask them first. Uh, you know, that's going to be the safest way. You might just stick to the donkeys. Next yeah, you one, might as well. Yeah, next one is is C-sharp steering wheel game. Hmm. And I just wanted to mention that because it sounds so freaking boring. Yeah, really. Steering wheel. Oh, I you move it to the left, like you move it to the right. Wheel, right? <laughs> <laughs> what else is there? You know, yeah, you beep it a few times, honk, honk, you know? I mean, that's it's kind a of a limited user game. interface. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, you might add a driving aspect to that or maybe the C-sharp steering wheel slash heater vent game or something. <laughs> Climate control game. I don't know. Pretty boring. Um Really? So that's that. Next one is uh, slave girls scrubbed with soap and spanked cartoons. People get so specific. Really? Why scrubbed with soap? What is so important about it that they be clean? Well, I I don't I don't know. I just I find sometimes the very very particular nature of the request to be interesting, uh, just on their own. Next one wow. is. Uh, Getting attached to nannies, and I was thinking there's probably like there's probably like a solvent or something that would actually <laughs> take care of that. Um, and then finally, the very last one is how to get a prostitute to pay me. Ah, which is kind of cool. That wouldn't be do a bad some consulting. Job, you know, tell you, know? <laughs> you can yeah, fix so a computer. The... <laughs> well, that's too clever, Carl. You know what he meant. So that is the Google Weirdos for the week. So, Rory, you've also been doing this segment, uh, and I had no idea this was going to go on and on and on, but it's a very cool segment, and that means i got to write music for it. But I haven't done that yet. But this is the sort of the news of the week. And uh, a, lot, a few, quite a few things have happened in the .NET uh, blog sphere, I guess, in the news sure. sphere this week. And uh, what, what are some of those things? Well, the first thing that I took a look at here, um, I, was, I, I actually went to this, uh, I went to the Portland Nerd Dinner the other night, and I was talking to, to Scott Hanselman and Chris Sells. And I remember Project Looking Glass came up in conversation. And I've noticed that Project Looking Glass has been popping up more and more and more often in conversations that I've you know, both had in person and that I found on the web. And for those of you who don't know, Project Looking Glass is described by Sun as a revolutionary evolution of today's desktop. And I, I just thought I'd kind of get people, you know, I, I think mm. people should know about this because if ever there were a fine example of all the worst things you could do to oh. an operating system's UI and put them in one place, Project Looking Glass is it. I hate really? Project Looking Glass. I, yeah, I've, I've been in arguments with people. Um, who seem to enjoy it. So I, give us I've some examples. What are, what are some of the things well, they do? Well, for example, Project Looking Glass is one of these pseudo 3D desktops that people are always talking about. It's like they think that to go to the next step, we have to add a dimension to the desktop, that this will somehow automatically make it more usable, right? If people can, can manipulate their windows using three dimensions rather than just two. But it's ah. it's kind of, it's baloney. It's it's not really founded on any uh, uh, good Usability thinking, or anything? Really. Right, sure. So one thing you can do with Project Looking Glass, for example, is you're out there, you're surfing on a web page, you've got your Mozilla browser up, and you decide you want to make a note about the web page, so you click some widget somewhere, and it will turn the window around. You'll see the animation as the window turns around, and suddenly you have a notepad you can write on. Okay, well, that's kind of Hmm. interesting, I guess, but it's still 2D. Right. It's just done in a 3D way. Right. Um, 
another thing you can do is you can angle your windows. You can you can rotate them on on every well on three axes. Hmm. And sometimes this winds up. I mean, what's the point? You turn what's it around. What's the point? You turn it around. You can't see translucent, it. Translucent, and you read your web page backwards. Ooh, um, cool parlor trick, I guess. But it's it would right. be very irritating for me yeah. as a user, and because you're dealing with three dimensions now, you can actually lose windows. Right, I'm somewhere. sure. I mean, some of them are sideways, some of them are behind each other, some of them are smaller than others, and you wind up with this three-dimensional mess, and suddenly you're playing Mahjong with your <laughs> with your windows. And uh, wow. I, I, I can't stand that, and I don't like when people automatically assume that three dimensions is the next step for... You know, uh, I, th- I think I made that very noise. point on the show. I, I'm somewhere in the last couple of years, we were talking about yeah. 3D UI and yeah. uh, how, how stupid that is. Uh, it, yeah. really, it really is. It just doesn't apply. It's a yeah, two-dimensional it sounds, screen it you're working exciting. with. Yeah. yeah. With three dimensions. It sounds cool at the outset. You're like, oh, yeah, another dimension. But then if you really think about the application, it's not so hot. Right. So the URL is www.sun.com slash software slash looking underscore glass. So for those of you who might have missed it, that's www.sun.com slash software slash looking underscore glass. And it's it's... I, I can't say enough bad things about it. And I'm not slamming it just because it's sun or whatever. I mean, I'm slamming it because I really don't like where it's going and it's getting a lot of momentum right now. Hmm. And in other news, as a lot of people know about, um, the Visual Studio 2005 Express products have been announced. Yes. And yes. this is pretty cool. And and the first time I saw this, I thought, well, you know what? Here is what we needed to settle that argument <laughs> um, that Kathleen Dollard right. got fired up and uh, where we had so much just... You know, back and forth over over the blogs there for a right. while. What I mean, are, this is the perfect solution for the hobbyist. For the hobbyist programmer, uh, yeah. Yeah, for those who don't know, uh, right from the product page, this is the Express Products expanding the Visual Studio product line to include lightweight, easy-to-use, easy-to-learn tools for hobbyists, enthusiasts, and novices who want to build dynamic Windows applications and websites. Yep. So perfect. Instead of dumbing down the product that we have to use in our daily lives, um, they just come out with a totally different product that is already... Completely dumb. Like, no, uh, I'm just kidding. Right. So that that's really cool. And the URL for that is lab.msdn.microsoft.com slash express slash default.aspx. That's lab lab.msdn.microsoft.com slash express slash default.aspx. Good. So that's cool stuff. And also very exciting, um, mono version one has been released. Yay. So yeah, and actually, so Miguel Miguel was going to be a guest tonight, and uh, he just couldn't make it. So we were but we, we are, to have we are him. going to yep. get him very soon. Yeah, we're going to so. have him very soon. He said he would, so watch and your, it's just a yeah. scheduling thing. Watch the schedule, because that is going to be a fantastic show. Yep. Um, so not much to say about that, except that it's out there. And for those of you who don't know, who somehow don't know, Mono is an open source implementation of parts of .NET. It's essentially like being able to run .NET on your Linux system or on your Mac OS X system, which is what I'm really excited about. And it's really, it's probably, in my opinion, it's the most exciting open source project in the universe right now. So yeah, well, that's, that's pretty good. cool. And I haven't seen the URL. It yet, yeah. yeah. The URL is www.mono-project.com. www.mono-project.com. So that's good stuff. There you go. And then not necessarily tech-related, but very cool for geeks. Uh, another thing that's been making the rounds lately is um, the Cassini probe has entered uh, its orbit around Saturn. 
Which yes, I saw. Yes, I saw that. Yes, I heard about that on public radio. Actually, mm-hmm. they're 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 it's going to be the first spacecraft to actually orbit the planet. It's and in orbit. Cool. Yeah, and on December twenty fourth, it's going to launch the the Huygens uh, probe uh, on Titan, which is the only moon in the solar system, at least that we know about. I suppose that has an atmosphere, has its own atmosphere, and so that's pretty exciting. There's going to be a lot of good stuff happening there. I like this because after all the war and the economy right. and the crap and the murdering and the killing and the dying and the blood and the mess, it's great to hear about something like this. So. You know, it's just a little bit of good news. And you can find that all over the place. You just put Cassini into Google or MSN Search if you use that, which brings us to the next item of news. Um, Microsoft is, they've put up a preview of their next generation search engine. And it's at techpreview.search.msn.com. And I, I don't know what the motto is or anything, but I think it might be this time it works or something like that. Okay. I really don't know, but it seems to be. Seems to be uh, a little more accurate than the other one, although it's definitely still not there because I put my name in, I put Rory in, and I searched, and I came back as the seventh result. So they've got some work to do, but <laughs> okay, it's good. so it's out there, and it's it's a really they it, they're obviously kind of copying the Google interface to a certain extent by keeping it very very simple, mm-hmm. and I think that's a good idea. Who cares if you copy? Just do whatever works, do whatever's good, do whatever is easiest for the users, and forget about you know all the people who are going to badmouth you. Awesome. So, I might just be able to start using MSN Search someday if this goes through and works out all right. So that's good stuff. And that is the news for the week. Maybe we'll paste in some music over that if we find some before Monday. Well, uh, tonight's show is entitled The Speaker's Lounge, and it's the second in a series that we, we started. The first show was called Reflections on Connections. And we just called up uh, some people, emailed some people, said, hey, who wants to be in a roundtable discussion talking about conferences tonight? And a bunch of people responded. And it turned out to be a great discussion. So we, what we have uh, tonight, we have a, a bunch of speakers, a bunch of people who have been guests before and uh, on the line to come and talk to us about what's on their mind. Uh, Scott Hanselman, Bill Vaughn, Kathleen Dollard, Don Kiley. Julie Arman, still there? Still here. I hadn't gone to sleep yet. Pat Hines? Hey. Mark Dunn? Other. How you guys doing? Pretty good. Are you okay, fine? Excellent. Back. Yeah, excellent. So we want to know what's on your mind. And I guess uh, Scott brought up some good topics. Scott, what's on your mind? Uh, I think I emailed it to you, and then at that point I've forgotten it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually have to keep all my information on the computer. I have only about a 4K stack, and after Visual, that, it pretty much Visual all Studio gone. Express was the top. Of yeah, that list. was the top topic, I suppose. And and actually, one of the one of the options that we had for the show was to get some people from Microsoft to talk about that, and and uh, they're in the queue also. Maybe Rory could pretend to talk like one of the Microsoft people. Yeah, there you go. Nah, you that probably do my bomber. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Express, 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 Express. We're so excited about Visual Studio Express. <laughs> He's going to put out a hit on you, man. <laughs> He's going to take that a contract. Or he'll hire you as a stunt devil. Right. Yeah, I'm slightly, well, I'll leave that alone. Yeah. Well, have any of you guys seen it yet? It just I came out. I it yesterday. Okay. What are your and impressions? It, it automatically updated my ASP.NET 1.1 script maps and IIS to ASP 2.0 without asking. Yeah. 
even though I installed the Visual C Sharp version, not the web developer version. Isn't that mm. special? And Wonderful. immediately <laughs> after I posted that on my blog, the product manager said, oops, ah. that's true, it does do that. That's not good. But they promised that they'll take a look at it. Although it did, that's exactly what it did in one one as well. Well, it's a beta, right? No, it did that in the production one one <laughs> as well. Yeah, I know. One one did it, and also the preview of Widby did it as well. It's a good sign they said, "Oops." Yeah, well, they might fix it. Well, it, it, just You're to be dreaming. clear, if you do put this on your box, things will stop working. Yeah. The second thing that stopped working was uh, I run um, Beyond TV, which is a digital uh, PVR personal video recorder for your PC, Mm -hmm. and it uses .NET objects. And they started running without asking inside of .NET 2.0 and and crashed spectacularly. So I needed to create .config files for all of my .NET EXEs that were acting weird and tell them that the supported runtime was only 1.1. It also happens to any .NET add-in that's running inside of Outlook. They'll all start automatically running in 2.0. That includes NewsGator. And just to remind everybody who's uh, freaking out, it is beta software, right? So they can do that. You know, it's still beta. But uh, no, I'm aside saying, from the problem, no, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not lamenting them doing that. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the benefit so of from the like virtual PC and VMware. I mean, absolutely. You can put stuff on, but the VPC and VMware just makes it so easy to try this stuff. The sad part yeah. is that the the MVP summit and the author summit and the various places have given this out. They say, okay, here, guys, here's a new CD. Run on home and install it someplace and yeah. shoot yourself in the foot. So they sit there in the audience trying to install this on their laptop, and they don't understand why everything falls apart after that. And it's, uh, Did anyone have trouble with Service Pack 2? I upgraded my tablet PC, and it was went spectacularly. I'm yeah. looking forward to putting Service Pack 2 on all my all my family's machines as, as I'm the IT manager for the entire family and all second Aren't we all? Hey, Scott, aside from the actual problems with installing, what are your impressions of using Visual Studio Express? Um, ah, it's pretty good. It's certainly not, you know, Web Matrix++. They really did mm-hmm. a very nice job uh, of giving you some neat enough features that it, it's as cool as Visual Studio 2003. It's not over the top, though. So you do realize that you know you get value for purchasing your MSDN Universal license. So it's just, they yeah. did a very good job right. of the amounts of features that they put in there. Hmm. Fine line. What kind of stuff? The, is the, the, all the help comes off of uh, online. So you, you're asked mm-hmm. to uh, answer a license agreement that if you, it can't find help locally, it will go up online and give you the feeling that you have locally installed MSDN help, but it'll actually be coming on the online MSDN help. Hmm. So you don't have to do the okay. whole two gig MSDN download, which is which is interesting. I think there uh, is 40 megs of documentation with it, though. It does get 40 megs of doc, but there's, you know, two gigs of other doc that doesn't get installed. Right. There's, um, I don't believe they let you do, like, remote debugging of processes, like, attached to process. Right. A little more kind of, like, single app focused. They're really the perfect hobbyist kind of thing. I mean, Microsoft... Don't, don't, has, don't, use, that, don't use that word. I don't, like, uh, I don't like that word. Hobbyist? Hobbyist. Okay, let me put it this way. There's a lot of people out there who are managing their little leagues in access. Absolutely. And those people don't want to buy this stuff. And absolutely. if we don't give them something, they're going to use PHP. Absolutely. absolutely. I totally agree. I just so don't like we'll the word hobbyist. Them... Okay. I, call this, I call them para-developers, people that are not professional developers. But a hobbyist to me is somebody who just wants to do it for fun. It, he, How about he, he has no stake in it. Bill, you're sure you're not a Unitarian? <laughs> that too. And just for the record, it was not Don saying that. <laughs> How about enthusiast? 
Is that okay? Enthusiast is a good word because hobbyist carries, I'm doing this because I want to, not because I'm going to work eight to five. And whether somebody's a secretary or a lawyer or a doctor or a little league coach, okay. I just, I, want to between, I just want to differentiate the hobbyist and the enthusiast from okay. the person who has to. You, if the thing screws up, he's pooched. His business is pooched. Right. So, as but opposed he's to not, his little league. Okay. As opposed to his little league. So his little league okay. sues him. You know, kids hate him. But Semantics. how about how about uh, wannabe? Is that a good one? No. <laughs> no. Terrible. No. It's hard to have any word for this because. It stretches such a big divide. You've got academia, you've got people who are you know, switching over from another technology and don't want to buy a whole big set of tools to try it. You've got blondes. Night yeah, security guards. Teachers. Deep Vermonters. Well, it's almost like the shareware version. It's Instead of a time bomb version, it's a, it's a feature. <laughs> it's just the, it, the express positioning. They saw SQL Express is for hobbyists and for enthusiasts and that sort of thing. And it, it can really be a serious... Uh, platform yeah. for serious businesses, small businesses. It's the MSDE replacement. And why right. they're spinning it this way is, is just beyond me. How about amateur developers? Well, except that's not quite right either. Yeah, but amateurs go to the Olympics, though. Well, that's, that's true. Well, they're, they're, they're as professional as anybody. They, they spend their entire lives, and if something goes wrong, their careers are pushed as an Olympic. So that's not the same either. Well, how about, how about screw, the te- screw the terminology? Um, Bill, what yeah. is the difference between MSDE and SQL Server Express? It's a big difference, and they've really they've really come around. And I just wrote an article in MSDN that's still going. You wouldn't believe it. It has to go through the politically correct police at Microsoft before it's published. Of course, but you're right. right. And Wait a second. Police. Isn't it just isn't it just a matter of naming it something? I mean, MSDE no, is no, no. a neutered version of 2000, and SQL Server Express is a neutered version of no, no. 2005. No, no, no. There's the difference in MSDE. They used a, a workload governor that was as complicated to explain. You had to be a rocket scientist in order to understand what was really going on. I just on. said it only supports five users. That's what I That's not people. true. It's absolutely I know, not but true. it was easy yeah. to tell people, though. Yeah, and, and a lot of people got confused and they didn't use it because they had they had 12 users sometimes and three users sometimes. But the the new SQL Express uses, throws the governor away. They say the hell with the governor. They now limit the amount of RAM and to we did that in Connecticut one gig too, actually. and uh, one processor. So if you have hyper-threading, you only, get, you only get one one pro yeah, and you're limited to four gig now as opposed to two gig. So you can have a, a mm. you know pretty good sized database. Mm. And they're also changing the way it's installed. They're dropped the concept of a uh, you get your you should install with your own instance approach to creating by default a something called a SQL Express instance. So if you don't say otherwise, you're going to get an instance called SQL Express unless there's one already there. In which case, it'll do nothing. And you get the choice of adding, naming the instance yourself if you want to. But by default, they want you to use SQL Express as the instance. And all the applications on the system that use SQL Express are supposed to use the SQL Express instance. Well, how is that different from just using VSNet as your instance name? You can use VSNet as your instance name. You can use anything you want to use. No, no, I'm saying that, that the, the VSNet version of MSDE always used VSNet already. So I, I don't see a difference other than... The difference also is that they, they have hidden the SA password. So they don't want you to use SQL login security at all. Hmm. And I don't think that was in place in the, the uh, MSDE instance. Hmm. Right, you're absolutely right. So they and Andrew Baum, in the cha- Andrew Baum in the chat room says that it will also eventually come with a graphical UI as opposed to MSDE, of course. So um, th- that is a is difference. That... They have, as a matter of fact, they have a graphical UI tool that comes with that helps you set some of the stuff up, but that's external, not to the database itself. But it's going to come with another program, SQL Manager, they're still deciding on the name, mm-hmm. that's going to give right. you something like a uh, 
a query analyzer light. Hmm. It lets you do that sort of thing. It comes with OSQL and SQL command, both of which are command line tools, which assume that the person knows how to run a batch, um, which is really necessary so, to some extent. Yeah. However, in the beta versions, it doesn't talk to anything. You can't use SQL Enterprise Manager. Hmm. You can't use the tools, even the tools from uh, uh, Yukon to talk to it yet. So you have to create no, table and create database and... You're going to have manually? yeah. What they really want you to do is attach detach, yeah. and that's really easy to do. You just open the database itself, pointing to the file to be attached. Okay. The first time it attaches it, and after that, it's just an open. Playbill hmm. does it work with Server Explorer and VSNet? I don't think so. I think I asked that question a couple different ways, and they kept saying no. Hmm. Um, it's it's. Um, it, it, that's going to happen. It's eventually happened, but apparently now uh, the interfaces are so different, it's just not working. It's not hooked up good. <laughs> and it is going to come with a commercial license. I mean, you can use it commercially? Right. As I understand it, the licensing is going to be the same as MSDE. It's basically free, and uh, it's designed... I'm going to spin it as being uh, ideal for small business, um, right. where you've got one, two, three, four, a dozen users... Um, and today, even with the governor, we've heard about people with dozens of users, you know, 24, 30, 50 users without in, the governor kicking in at all because the applications are written intelligently. And it's obviously right. Yeah. It's obviously the, uh, you know, the new version of SQL that that comes that that hosts the framework. Right. So it does. Right. It does still have all those same features. It's exactly the same binaries. Yeah. Yeah. Same binaries. Yeah. So hmm. it's the same core engine. It's sort of, um, English query isn't there. Uh, total text search isn't there. And, and some of the big features aren't there. Uh, but those... What are the, the big features part, you're thinking about, like replication or... Uh, yes, you can use replication. Replication is there. But the things like, as I said, English query, total text search, um, okay. uh, and some of those others. And also I something else is missing. SQL agent is missing. It's hmm. not there, which hmm. is different from the MSDE. Hmm. Um, which means if you want to schedule backup jobs, um, well, when the I wrote an application for the church up here, and it's taken more time to do that. Anyway, we won't go there. Um, and it does automatic backups using SQL DML, and um, it, that's the way to go if you want to do backup. It just does it in the background without them even knowing it, so I don't have to run any external stuff. Apparently, the replication support is transactional and merge by subscription only. And uh, whereas in right. MSD it was full merge only, I think they they it still has replication, but it is. Uh, I'm not sure they've even decided how it's going to work at this point. I think yeah. Still uh, what about DTS? Not uh, available. DTS not is not not built in, but it, it will it will participate at DTS. Uh, it will also participate in reporting services. In other words, you can in fact pull a report off of it, but it can of, of course host reporting services. Interesting. Well, okay. Yeah, pretty, well, it's pretty good. It looks like a it looks like a good story. And does anybody know about the price of these things yet? I mean, they've. I haven't seen a price prices well, anywhere. The Express is free. The SQL Express is free. SQL Express is free, but what about for the other guys? It's four million dollars. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have to sell many, but it's. <laughs> Kathy, well, hey, there's a there's a version of Visual Studio that's going to be an Express version. Uh, Right, I think so. I think yeah, that's what, I, about the, uh, that's the what I was talking that. about. I saw an announcement earlier this week about it. That's, that's going to be available everywhere except in Minnesota. <laughs> it's in response to Kathleen's editorial in uh, VisualStudio.net. I'm taking personal responsibility for this whole product. Responsibility <laughs> and credit. No, 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 no. <laughs> credit something. 
Well, they named it after you, didn't they? That hobbyist word all over it. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody. I, in the... I'm not inferring that Kathleen's a hobbyist. I'm talking about her op-ed piece. Yeah. Yeah, we're raising Bill's blood pressure though when we use that word. <laughs> right. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Take your name. So we've uh, somebody in the chat room is saying it's like less than a hundred bucks for the VSNet Express. He says it's just a rumor. Well, I'm actually looking it up. I'll have it for you in a second. I okay. heard they were going to put the whole thing on eBay. <laughs> hey, that's a top bidder this hour. Probably going to be less than ten dollars on eBay. Well, I think yeah, it's going to be great not only for the uh, para developers, as Bill likes to call them, or whatever we're calling them, but also for uh, for schools, for hobbyists. Absolutely. Well, schools <laughs> already actually have a drop dead deal. It's like a thousand bucks for an entire department or entire high school. I'm not exactly. And the yeah, standard. Standard. They only get one else. disc. You know, Microsoft, have a lot of well, Microsoft will go to a, uh, a, a a school or a college and say, "We're going to grant you forty million dollars worth of software, and here's the floppy." <laughs> You're well, kidding, and, right? And then there's a sheet with keys on it. Really? Because uh, electrons are cheaper than molecules. Ah. Yeah, I've seen the, the sheet with keys, so uh, you're, you're pretty accurate in that description. Mm. <laughs> but it is good to, to have anybody who just wants to learn is going to have access to this without being associated with the university. You know, I certainly talk to a lot of people through user groups that are trying to get access to new technologies and struggling to do it financially. Yeah. So I think it's a wonderful decision um, that they made to have this new technology available to anybody who wants it. And uh, it really uh, makes it easier for, for, as an answer to open source as well, in terms of, you know, the, well, it's free. Use Linux. Use Well, other you know, but at the same right. time, this is really just, I mean, I mean, believe me, I'm a Microsoft supporter. I love Microsoft. But in the interest of discussion here, it's not like they were keeping the hobbyists out on purpose. It's like, damn you hobbyists, pay us money. Right. I mean, MSBE has been free forever. It was hard, but it still existed. I mean, right. Bill brought well, up the example of doing pro bono work. I did work for nonprofits with MSDE and academic versions of EB6, and I was out at 100 bucks total. No, I right. charged Not the church. I didn't do that pro bono. I charged them $100 an hour. Right, but you need more grassroots. We need to get Microsoft, if they're going to be successful, has to keep extending further. And that means they have to win over the people who wouldn't play with MSDE. Right. right. And a lot of the stuff, I mean, it was free as long as you had a license to something else. Oh, that's true about MSDE, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't free-free. You still had to shell up money for something. So you had to buy something, right. Yeah. It's, it's the same approach that the Coke dealers, you know, the crack cocaine dealers do. The, the first sample is free. Oh, right. yeah, go away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's, he's right in a way. And they sell it on the street people... corners and across the street from Oracle houses. <laughs> a lot of people would start with MSDE and then outgrow it pretty quickly. And then the next step was $10,000 for SQL Server. Right. Yeah, but they start with access and then they get to the hard stuff. You see, and that's access the problem. Was not a good was not a good ramp up. They ended up being pushed when they got access. Well, yeah, but neither was Excel, but still half the world's business logic runs in yeah, Excel. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. What's, why is your database out of size? Well, that's all the Excel rows and columns I can have. Right, yeah. so what's the solution? Invent a new data type and call it list, which basically says, no, no, it's okay to use Excel, just call it a list. Yeah. yeah. Or save it all to XML, that'll help. Yeah. <laughs> it's stored in a single row, in a single column, in a, in a SQL Server database as an XML data, data type. How do you feel about that, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> There's places for XML. I can think of a number of places that like to put XML. But <laughs> there are also aberrations. There are things where it has no business being. 
And as much as I, I disagree with Bill's overall sentiment, I have a sus- strong suspicion that that's probably the single biggest feature in Yukon that is going to be abused because people are just going to start stuffing all kinds of stuff in XML. I think that's Absolutely. for for uh, for unstructured random data that we sort of use some sort of weird kludges in the database for. You might as well be writing uh, using the file system, right? Right, right. There's yeah. apps, there are great places for it. There really are. And it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's when the kids see the new toy. Oh my God! I've got a Makita screwdriver, electric screwdriver. I'm right. going to screw everything. Right. right, and they do. No pun intended. Yeah. On the other hand, I <laughs> suspect that that's going to be a great opportunity for database consultants. Right. Just all this stuff is cover from that sort of stuff. All this and new we technology is great for consultants. Always. Just consultants just go around fixing jet issues. <laughs> yeah, you've had some experience in that arena. Yes. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Bill? You know how I feel about Jets. Jets a virus. <laughs> That's nice. I can just hear Bill Vaughn is Agent Smith. Hendak is a virus. <laughs> how many people, you ask a group of developers, how many people in this room have had problems with MDEC issues? In, okay, yeah. there's too many hands. How many have not had problems with yeah. MDEC issues? I, don't, I haven't had problems with, with it for years. Recently? Oh, I've solved all my years. MDEC problems by not installing it. That's yeah, my solution, I haven't too. had problems in a long time either. I you know, just don't use it. Did you see the guy in the news group yesterday? He says, I've got, AD, I've got MDEC 2.1. The, the people have heard all these problems with MDEC, and they don't want to change it. Yeah. The now old, what? The older versions were bad. The older version, yeah. yeah. The broken version. He says, are there incompatibility issues with, with SQL Server 2000? I said, yes. He says, well, what? He says, yes. It's broken. It's it's leaks. It's, you know, it's got all, you know, it's a dozen thousand issues. Yeah. I'm feeling much better now, though. Yeah. Welcome to well, the yeah, the session. Is, is almost on under, <laughs> almost under control at this point. They've, uh, they've, chastise the developers that changed the 2.1 to 2.5 issue, and they've mm. chastised those developers. They don't do that again, but there's so many other subtle things. That... Yeah. So, uh, thumbs up overall, Bill, on uh, Express 2005, SQL Server Express? You think? I've been playing with it for about uh, 45, 50 days now, and it's very cool. I like it. I like it a lot. Awesome. Um, Scott, another thing on your list to talk about was, and which I went searching for, but I couldn't find any, was uh, .NET 2.0 breaking changes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brad 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 Abrams Abrams just posted a list of, does .NET 2.0 breaking changes up on got.net? Okay. Uh, I think Brad, let me check right now. I think Brad Abrams put it on. So these are changes to the framework that break compatibility with 1.1? That break existing stuff. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, and we even uh, had just, some in 1.1. Well, you, yeah, you have one all the time. Most Very of them are few. security related, so you got to yeah. get them. There you go. It's uh, right. it's blogs.msdn.com slash Brad A. And okay. that'll give you a list to uh, the got.net team site. And there's a whole series of backwards breaking changes as well as public API changes. The okay. interesting one is the visual uh, VB, VB collections. Uh-huh. Remember how VB collections had the whole weird yeah. zero-based, zero one base. negative one for insertion? Yeah, that's going to be fixed and made correct. So all the all the um, workarounds you added last version, you need to remove them now. Yeah. Well, actually, that's good. So yeah, they're going to be so zero-based again. It, it's just subtle. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. So they're going to be zero-based again. Apparently, uh, they're going to be based on seven this time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that was the only thing that the the easiest collection to use is the worst one in VB.net. You know, Dim COL's new collection. That's the oh. worst one. Well, the thing that's so interesting, here's something for you guys to tell me what to do. There's the VB collection class, which is there purely for compatibility. It's the right. Uber collection. It's a collection. It's a, you know, it slices, it dices, it makes right. Julian fries. Yeah. Very there's, slowly. There's the new, this collection base, which you derive your new strongly typed collections on. But if you don't feel like doing your own casting, you use... Uh, system.generics. Yeah. So you can make generic collections, you can use the new improved collections, or you can use the VB collection. So the collection story is getting a little muddled. Disconnected. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, still, yeah. but still, even though they're making these changes, there's still no kind of uh, fundamental sets like uh, hash maps and, you know, double, you know, double hash maps, like a doubly linked hash, uh, hash table and different things like that. So, so you're looking for like them to do what what Java did and have different kinds of collections like vectors and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean like like computer science collections, like stuff that you expect. I should have sets and and you know you got Q and you you know you should just be able to pull them out of thin air. They should just be there, mm. and they're not. Mm. That's a bummer. Write an article. Yeah, I but actually yeah, that'll that'll get their attention. I actually previewed some out. technical. I previewed some technical writing the author was doing on generics where. It was obvious that he clearly didn't understand generics. One of the first examples he gave was a collection that derived from a generic collection and then impl- a collection base and then implemented its own, uh, you know, add and item property. But it was a generic collection already. So all he had to do was just use the generic list or something like that. And he would duplicate. He was duplicating all this code. Uh, I'm just thinking that it's going to confuse people. Well, it's already it's confused really, I people. think it's really great that they're going to let VB6 people go all over 1.0, over 1.1, and leapfrog all the way to 2.0. Yeah. But to have an entire class exist just for comfort makes yeah. me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. I think that decision's kind of behind them, though. They can't, I think it would be difficult to drop it between 1.1 yeah. and 2.0. Oh, I, I think it's one of those things you're going to have to get over. It based on anything I say. I'm just saying I think it's cheesy. Yeah. I think you need well, to get over it. I mean, the rule cluster <laughs> finally put it in there. I mean, somebody obviously wanted that or asked for it. I would well, think. arguably, everything that's in the framework is either there because someone argued for it or forgot that it was still there. Yeah. So, arguably, someone really, really wanted it. Well, I think the bigger problem is what, you know, with, with the tools that they have, with all the generic stuff, how do you use it correctly? And and this this guy's technical writing was a perfect example of that. You know, here's a guy who's supposedly writing, he was writing a book, actually, on how to do this and clearly didn't get it all the way. Do you know what I mean? Didn't understand what the best case is to use and when to use what. It was duplicating all this code. So, yeah, as as people say, as I think Bill said, you're going right from leapfrogging from VB6 right to 2.0, to .NET 2.0, and now you've got even more options than you had in the first version of .NET. Now you have generics. You know what I'm saying? They don't see the progression of technology up to generics and all of that stuff in the middle there. What do they do yeah, with they that? Just, they just know there's something called collection. This right. is the same pattern we saw when we moved. It, when I was back on the VB team back in Quick Basic time, and when I was associated with the VB team back in the MBasic 80 time, every time they changed and added the new language, they had to carry forward certain functionality to keep the existing developers happy. And it's it's just the nature of the beast. It's the nature of what happens. No, what has to happen. And .NET VB, you know, Visual Basic .NET Visual Fred has has really changed a, that that paradigm because they left so much behind, 
so yeah. much legacy stuff that was started in Bill's M Basic eighty. Right. Back in the CPM days. A lot of this stuff was left behind and for the first time. All the languages up to that point had carried it. The 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 piece set of the all this all the, the, these little Go sub. Go subs and well, it's, it, you know, it's even lower level money, so all kinds of stuff, uh, different A through Z and that sort of thing. And this, these behaviors are just kept for the marketing reasons, to keep, mm. to their, because they're deathly afraid of, of creating a language that nobody will come to, yeah. you know, creating a party that nobody will go to. Yeah. Uh, I even saw marketing some... drives this stuff as much as technology does. It's probably more so. I even saw some code with go tos in it. Where was it? It was a DirectX sample. I downloaded DirectX 9.0 toolkit. You know, if you've never done DirectX or graphics programming and you're thinking, yeah, I might want to write some code to do some shading or some 3D, just just do something else because <laughs> this stuff is insane. It's totally different. Yeah, it's totally if, different. If, if, if you're coming from an object-oriented world, then graphics, game programming, stuff like that, it's a, it's a totally different thing. I was actually well, I was reading I a story recently. It's fair to in, say object-oriented programming obviates go-tos. We just call them exceptions. Oh, okay. But I'm talking about the word "go to." It was everywhere. But the, the, it, it's all—it's all—it's it's all created the same way. The IL is still a go-to. Yeah, it's still a branch. Still a branch, not equal. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, not trying to—I'm not, so I'm not, I'm not trying to be. Uh, a, a, we know what you're trying to be. Just be it. <laughs> I'm not trying to be academic about it. I'm just trying to say that you know, a go-to by any other name. Yeah. No, it's true. I don't think go-tos are so evil. If you can find a good reason to use one. Name one. Oh, it, you know, exiting out of, uh, well, maybe not in .NET languages. I, I used to be a COBOL programmer at one point in my life. Okay, so we're going to go way back. Uh, at any rate, I worked in a shop that uh, was structured, and, and one of the rules was you could not use go-to statement. So yeah. if you were in, in a heavily nested loop in COBOL, uh, go-tos were, were really nice to get you out of that loop condition. Right, of course. And that's why we call them breaks and continues, which are just go-tos by another Right, group. exactly. Yeah. I, I totally agree. All right. So we so all you don't agree like the, you don't like the spelling, that's what it is. Let me put it this way. If you go and do static cyclomatic complexity analysis on a function and it comes out with a number that's higher than 10, it either contains a switch statement or a go-to or some number of mid-function returns. Do you guys think that it's a problem to have four, five, six ways out of a function? Do you guys no, think no, no. the whole that's, that if was this the fail, issue. if that fail? The issue is uh, what we're really what we're really scared of is spaghetti programming, where where the the flow goes in no particular readable order. Right, and that's exa- that's exactly the point. I and mean, that's a go-to not, is not an is not an exception. It's not the same yeah. thing. It's, it's about, not the same thing at all because a go-to allows you to go to an arbitrarily, you know, defined point in your code somewhere and then to bring it back to someplace else and someplace else and someplace else. Whereas, you know, you're trying your catch. I mean, you can follow it pretty deterministically, right? It, it promotes bad habits. and That's it. It's like it's like at-home dentistry. You can do it, but it's not recommended. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is that like brain surgery in the mirror, I think, is the analogy. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Like that guy in Master and Commander who took a bullet out of his own stomach there. Did you see that movie, Pat? Not yet. Yes, Actually, I did. That, that, that helped me take a bullet out of my own stomach once. So I looked at that more of an educational <laughs> If I hadn't seen that movie, I would have gone, you know. To the emergency room. Just come see us, Scott. We'll take care of you. We can insert the bullet and take it out. Yeah. We have the technology. <laughs> After seeing that movie, I wanted to shoot myself just so I could take a bullet out. And chop my arm off. It was a good movie. It was a good movie. Made me flinch. All right, you guys. Well, listen.
lesser of two weevils. Come on. Yeah, that was a good joke. <laughs> Come on. That was worth the $8 just to get into the flick. <laughs> All right, guys. It's uh, about that time where we have to uh, pay the bills and listen to some music. So we'll be back in about 10 minutes. So stick around. Don't go away. better than I thought it would, isn't it? I enjoy these uh, roundtable discussions. Anyway, I wanted to just direct your attention to our website, www.franklins.net, where we have put up our schedule of classes for the fall. And if you're looking to take the VBNet Masterclass, we have space August 16th, September 13th, October 4th, November 15th, and December 6th. If you're looking for the ASP Net Masterclass, August 23rd, September 20th, October 25th, November 29th. Great classes if you want to check out some testimonials and learn what we talk about and what we uh, what we write. Go up to www.franklins.net. I also wanted to mention you're never going to eat at a better net. I also <laughs> I can't even talk now. I also want to mention that you'll never have better lunches at any other training class than at Franklin's Net. Good food. I mean it. Gone away the fireflies that I saw from my brother's eyes 
gone away the summers of my dreams Racing cans down Irving Street Safe and warm in the evening heat Someone always looking out Trade you a steely for that candy bar Sleep in the back of my daddy's car I know he'll tuck me in when we get home To my dream Sixteen, I drove that car Fly away so fast, so far Try to find someone else who thinks like me Who do I turn to? Who can I trust? The house next door has an impenetrable such a big neighborhood and yet so all alone in my dream factory in my dream factory
Hey, Carl Franklin here, giving a shout out to my friends at Data Dynamics. Uh, we've talked a lot about Active Reports on this show, and this is no exception. So I'm talking about ActiveReports.net. This is a port of their popular Active Reports program. If you're currently thinking of doing reporting in .NET for Windows Forms or web applications, check out Active Reports for .NET. Uh, many of my friends in the business use and swear by ActiveReports.net. I use it as well. Now let me just tell you, to say that the reporting is simple does it an injustice because it makes you think that it can only do simple things. It can do very powerful things, but you don't have to go through hoops just to set up a simple report. When you create a report, the report exists with your application. Okay, It doesn't exist on a server somewhere. All right, we're not talking about enterprise reporting. We're talking about, I have some data, I want to print it out, or I want to show it to the user. PDF format is supported. HTML format is supported. All the great features you'd expect from a reporting engine, drop dead simple, and the best part, it's not going to break the bank. They have a great licensing scheme that's easy to deal with. So check it out at www.datadynamics.com. Now let's get back to our show. And uh, now's the segment on our show when we do a little episode we like to call Linux Vulnerability of the Week. Hello, Mr. Bull. Let's you and me fight. <laughs> and we like to do this uh, little segment not to bash Linux or its users, but just to uh, sort of settle the uh, level the playing field on the Linux zealotry out there. The Linux zealots claim that Windows has bugs and Linux does not. And to put those things to rest, we like to read a couple of the vulnerabilities that have happened uh, in the past week that are posted on www.linuxsecurity.com slash advisories. And I'll just uh, read down a couple of them just so that we can get the idea. Uh, and on the 30th, there was a Fedora... Uh, Fedora 2 bug, a non-authentication vulnerability when configured to use x.509 certs to authenticate remote hosts, IPsec tools versions 033 and earlier will not abort the key exchange if the verification fails. We have buffer overflow vulnerabilities in Gen 2, uh, MIT KRB5. There's a Gen 2 Pavuk buffer overflow vulnerability, a Mandrake Apache buffer overflow vulnerability, all on 6.30. Mandrake, Apache 2 denial of service vulnerability, 6.30. Also on 6.30, Mandrake, libpng buffer overflow vulnerability. Also on 6.30, Trustix, Apache, libpng Python denial of service vulnerability. On 6.25, Debian, Apache buffer overflow vulnerability. And uh, all sorts of stuff in the kernel on Fedora 1. Multiple vulnerabilities on 6.25. So the list goes on and on. And, you know, Rory, it's it's getting to be a little monotonous now. I think uh, I think people are, are getting the point. I hope they're getting the point. We like to uh, just give equal time here on .NET Rocks to the, uh, to the anti-zealots. So there we go. Hello, Mr. Bull. Let's you and me fight. <laughs> Yeah. So, gang, are y'all out there? Yeah. Yeah, we're still here. Excellent. Hope you survived the break, okay? Sure. I love Dream Factory. 
Oh, thanks, Don. Beautiful song. Yeah. Thank you so much. When I was a child, I was smarter, actually, in some ways. (laughs) Yeah, parenting makes us a little, a little slower. Yeah, a little bit, huh? I don't think so. I think you have to. You just have to think about everything you say and everything you do very, very carefully because they're all on record. And that doesn't slow you down. It, well, you, you seem slower, but you're working an awful lot harder. Oh, that's true. Maybe it's the appearance that's, of slow. Wait, do you that, speed back up when they get out of the house? Yeah, when they <laughs> leave. Really? Do, yeah, dogs. Having dogs is great. You know, you don't have to worry about that. They don't want to go to college. You don't have the expense. If they misbehave, you can tie them up out in the yard. It's like having a hey, two-year-old not forever. A date. But my seventeen-year-old. You know, like people, dogs poop on the bed, so that's <laughs> they sure do. And, and my seventeen-year-old. I have one of my dogs is suffering from diarrhea, and I don't want her to have to. Uh, Thanks, Don. Yeah, we'll <laughs> too much information. <laughs> my seventeen-year-old is teaching my twelve-year-old to take over his IT duties when my seventeen-year-old leaves the house. So that's good. Have you read Daniel's book, Danny Offerman's new book? You know, they haven't yet. I think that's that's a very cool book. The reading code, Petzl's book. I looked at that in in, uh, Borders last week, and uh, I think it's it's great for anybody. Yeah, not just for teens. All kinds of good information. I got a call from uh, my house. Uh, A teenager was over at our house who's a friend of the family, and uh, she wanted to use our computer and wanted to know if uh, I could turn the firewall off because she was running a program that uh, required certain access or something like that, and it wasn't working because the firewall was on. So she called to ask me if she could turn the firewall off, and I said, of course, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you'll have to use some other program. Did she and, tell uh, you the, the app she wanted to run was the virus construction kit? <laughs> <laughs> no, it seemed like a perfectly okay application. It's just that I know from watching, you know, the scopes and stuff, that when you turn the firewall off, it doesn't take more than two seconds before someone's trying to hack you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's, the port scanners are going constantly. Yeah, you start going, yeah. who do I know in Bangladesh? Uh... <laughs> so, uh, Mark, what's been on your mind these days? Has you been... Oh, well, uh, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I, w- I was just talking to Bill about uh, beating the dead horse about documentation. And Visual Studio, so I don't know if we will really want to get into that or not, but uh, it's, it's something that bothers me. I wind up using Google all the time, and I, I find myself not using the help system. So hmm. I have a dream. I, I my dream is I want to hit F1 and just see code. Yeah. I want a code filter there. Hmm. I don't want to have to read about it. I just want to see the code itself. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, that'd uh, be cool. Simple request. Never you know, happened. Code with links to the information instead of the other way around, right? Exactly, exactly. So the bugs come out down there in uh, Atlanta yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, of I course. Don't, I don't think I'd want a help system like that. I like the combination. I like to read about it and learn about what it is that I'm trying to figure out. I like the words, too. I like to be able to see the code. And the code certainly does tell the story, but... Often I like to see the interrelationships between this property and oh I'm supposed to really be thinking about this property and if I use that object then I need to have you know this understand these methods. Well, that's it. I, I think what bugs me about it is when I when I go in to use MSD and help, I wind up always getting like the the inheritance tree uh, for something mm. like and, Office something or yeah, or, yeah, or, that, or DirectX or, or yeah some obscure 
yeah, being able to filter it down and say, just give me things that you know what I'm working on. My God, you can see the code. Mm. It well, sounds like that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, it's personal too because I love those trees. I mean, that, I mean, there's times I'm going looking for them, so it depends on what you're doing, but it also depends on the way you work. And I, I do hope Microsoft does work on getting over. The, it seems whenever there's a problem in people understanding something, they write a lot more words, like a few more 90-page white papers. And I'm really not convinced that that helps the average programmer very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like, like the they just need a filter. Well, they have a filter. They, there's a filter of, uh, you know, filtered by topic. So if you limit it to Visual Basic, for example, you get VB plus the framework. Like, it sounds like they need yeah, more filtering. The problem filtering. is the examples are all in C Sharp, so they're not all in C Sharp. They're not all in C Sharp. No, they're not. <laughs> here's, a, here's a filter I'd like to see in the WIDB documentation for the for the betas and the alphas. The docs for the new stuff has this bright red thing bright red text on there that says this is new for .NET 2.0. Yeah. I would love great. to be able idea. to yeah. I would like to be able to see uh, just the new stuff. This is different. Or, you know, the like the change bars in Word, if we should change stuff, you can see the new words, the edits that they've done. So you can focus right on things that have changed for 2.0. I thought they had I thought they had that, didn't they? Or they just have... There's no way. I've actually... There's no filter, but there's text. Yeah. I've had to I've had to sit with two computers open and literally go through uh, the word. reference library to to really start try to drill into. It would be great to see uh, yeah. a different color for the for the the uh, versions, and this is implemented here because now that we're going to have to build applications uh, for one point one specifically mm. that will run on one point one, but they won't won't they will run on two point oh, but the two point oh ones won't run on one point one right. anymore. So you have you know you have to be careful about what you're using. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 getting it's getting strange again. We've done this before. Someplace back in time, didn't we do this before when we switched from one version of Windows to another? Sixteen to thirty-two bit yeah. Windows. Thunk before you port, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to that. Yeah. I'm a big What Do You Know fan. Well, I finished my. Uh, Peter Blackburn and I are working on a reporting services book, and we turned in the last chapters last week, and we're working on the videos now, the Camtasia videos now. Oh, great. And we've learned a boatload of stuff that we should have talked to you about, Carl, yeah. about audio issues. Oh, right, right. And uh, Camtasia is is really, really great. It's one of the ins. It's and awesome. Snagit is are excellent products. The problem yeah, is those that... Those are amazing. I've gotten this maggot completely for all of my articles. And books. It is so, so oh, cool. Yeah. And it's, it thinks ahead of you. Oh, my God, if it yep. just did, oh, it does that. You know, it's yep. just so cool. The, the Camtasia product, it really brings your system to its knees, and you have to get to hold your mouth just right. And, and if the sound cards aren't right, they Not get necessarily. very it's just, it's just configuration. You just have to know. It, it is. It's, it's all in configuration. Yeah. What Peter did, he was very worried about sound quality. Right. So he went out and bought himself like six sound cards, mm-hmm. and he wasn't happy. He kept installing them and uninstalling them. It turns out his registry was so full of sound card entries and cross entries, it confused, and he had to rip all of that out manually. Yeah. But once he got it stable, it's, uh, you know, the movies that I'm making are very cool. And we use a, a, a freeware audacity to do the sound editing. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, these, these are going to be very cool videos. That's good. I've, uh, uh, I typically is a little bit on the pricey side, but, uh, I may, I may actually jump for that. The Camtasia? Yeah. The thing is you have to, you have to, uh, save it to, I, the thing that works best with me is an external USB or Firewire hard drive. 
and you know just completely offload it and also turn the um the right caching off wait it doesn't save to a to a hard drive a local hard drive it does save to a local hard drive but you oh. know that'll that'll mess with your system so no 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 have explode so the external ones you can get 7200 rpm Yes. Yeah, I've got some pretty fast drives in the system. It's also hyper-threaded, and that helps a lot. It's got two gigs of RAM. That helps. Right. But um, And also, the you know, the frame rate should be, doesn't have to be big. It only has to be like 5 or 10 frames right. per second. We're and, not also creating AVIs. We've, we're creating SWFs now. We're yeah, me too. I've done that. And it makes them much smaller. We're not seeing yep. any, any delta in the in the, the visuals. So, Bill, are you creating those for a, a DVD or a CD that goes with the book? Or right. These are going to be on the DVD for the book, and uh, w- the DVD is going to be full of these videos uh, with samples, sample codes, reports, and stuff as well. And uh, we're also hoping to be able to build them for training courses. Um, and because of the way we're, we've built them, they can be localized. We've kept the, uh, the sound separate from the AVI completely. So we can build these up and have them uh, translated into Spanish or French or German. Get, get Fernando to do it for you. Right. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Mm. Well, we'll Giovanni can do the, the the Italian version for us. Well, Julie, uh, Julie, I know that uh, it's late for you as it is for me. It's eleven twenty-two, and you need to go to bed soon. So uh, we haven't heard much from you. What have you been working on these days? Oh my goodness, a little bit of everything right now. I'm deep in ADO.net uh, 2.0 trying to really dig through some of the new stuff in there. So that's always fun, having been a database programmer for 20 years. Mm-hmm. What's the thing that, that's most impressed you about ADO 2.0? Well, to, today, it's, it's, a, it's a daily daily change, I think. Um, early on, I was really excited about data tables becoming first-class citizens. Right. Um, today, I think I finally found a reason why I might actually use data adapters commands because I always just, you know, use stored procedures and mm-hmm. transactions. Mm-hmm. But with the uh, the batch inserting, batch updating, things like that, and the way they've done it, the way that it's working in the background, I I think I'm finally convinced. So what uh, what was the project that convinced you? What was the application? Well, actually, I'm just I'm just exploring the tools and. Um, you know, writing some demos to do some benchmark testing mm-hmm. and, and see what the different things look like. It's for an article that I'm doing. Hmm. What do you think um, about the asynchronous stuff? That I haven't, that's, that's next. That's tomorrow's project, but I'm, I'm definitely excited about that too. I think that's cool too. The, we talked with uh, a couple of guys on the team, Pablo and Castor and some other people, about uh, asynchronous opening. The fact that they've dropped that is disappointing. What do you think about async opens? Oh, because that was in the earlier... Right, earlier well, it was in the spec, it. but I'm not yeah, sure they ever implemented it, it correctly. didn't make it in. Well, since Actually, the connections are pooled, is, does it matter? I mean, is it that big of a deal now to open a connection? Well, you can also, you can, sh- you can share the connections, right? So I wonder if that yeah, was... Yeah, that's Mars, that's something else. And it was, the problem is that they're not really opening a connection when they open a connection. They're, at, they're pulling one from the pool, and it gets very complex behind the scenes about whether the connection is actually there or not, and so With forth the and so forth. Yeah, with async and trying to open the async. That's yeah. uh, so what they had in ADO 2.0. Uh, it, it, no, ADO, dot, uh, ADO Classic uh, 2.5, I think, is they turned on async connections. And it uh, it lets you 
especially in situations where it took three, four, five, ten, fifteen seconds to get connected, like when you connect to a jet database, Lord help us. Um, it, it sped up the process visually. In other words, you returned immediately and you give the user something to do, and, or you can play a game or something while they're waiting for connect. Uh, and they've pulled that, which I think is uh, is regrettable. Mm. Julie, have you been doing any more work on the tablet these days? Oh, I'm always doing work on my tablet. I love my little Acer C110, and I'm soon going to be returning it to my client, Boohoo, but I'm getting uh, a Toshiba M200, which is going to be a lot bigger and a lot more powerful. Uh. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I just <laughs> did a um, presentation on that, on working with the SDK up, at, up in Montreal at DevTeach. Yeah. And that was great fun because everybody who came to the session was already really excited about checking out this stuff. And we just wanted to lock the door when it was time for the next session to start yeah. and just keep going and going. It seems like a lot of the things that I've seen on the tablet have been, you know, how to recognize, you know, how to recognize the ink and to, to work with the ink as data and stuff. And um, I don't know. I'm, I, I know of a couple of good applications for it, but I, I don't have like this big mental list of applications handy yet that uh, where this is really going to work. Yeah, you know? I think there's a whole collection of different ways to look at it. Um, some of the stuff you don't even you don't have to even use the SDK for. So, for example, if you're just writing a kind of a data entry application, uh, you know, I like to think anything that was um, that you might have used the clipboard for. You know, that can be a tablet application because yeah. it goes right right into the database. And so you don't really have to, um, you can get away without even touching the SDK to do that stuff. Mm. You can leverage what's already built into the tablet operating system. Mm -hmm. Do you and have to store the data as text or image or is it? You can, you can uh, yeah, because you you can get the data out as streams, what the, the ink is doing. Mm -hmm. so you, can, you can remember, um, you can store the um the recognition list, because not only does it recognize one word, but then it stores along with that word all of its other guesses, and you can actually store all that stuff. Or you can take the ink itself and stream that and store the stream or convert it to a GIF or, or whatever. So one of the things I'm doing, Carl, you know, probably coming from a similar place as you, I'm used to data entry applications. So I also look at this stuff at first and said, well, what right. would I do with that? And I'm constantly looking around to see what other people are doing for inspiration. So a lot of the math kind of things where you can actually, you know, write out formulas and calculations, things that I can't do with a keyboard. What can I do with, with a pen and paper that I can't do with a keyboard? Those are the kinds of things I've been looking at. Well, um, Carl, you, I, at DevTeach in Montreal, I, I walked up when you were uh, videotaping something going on with the tablet PCs. Right. You were having different people... Uh, right stuff. Yeah, and... this is oh, going to be the contest we were doing. It's part of uh, it's going to be part of .NET Rocks the movie, so you'll see it in there. But... <laughs> oh, there it was it was the uh, recognition challenge, and um, the so the recognition built into Lone Star did really well up until it came up against Richard Campbell. Richard, uh, just his handwriting is just insane. But I looked over the shoulder as as uh, Nick was was writing and. Uh, I, I couldn't read his handwriting, and yet Tableau PC did some amazing. It was pretty good. It's yeah. it's one of the most impressive things. When you once you start looking at what the programming is, 
that makes that happen and all of the things that they're doing in the background. It just makes me admire, you know, Aaron and all of those guys on the tablet team so much because it's just amazing what they've done. And that was using Very the features with, with WinXP SP2, right? Yes. Okay. I hate so to be a, a really good thing. Even on, on a on a desktop, you'll you'll be getting that operating system, just not some of that functionality that comes along with the digitizer, but it'll get mm. installed right to a just a desktop computer. So I hate to be an Acer, really but Peter has uh, one of these Acer uh, uh, tablet PCs, and mm -hmm. we tried to use it with uh, reporting services. And for whatever reason, there was a number of things we simply couldn't do uh, with the tablet. They was very interested in trying to see if you could in integrate the two together, and it, it did not work. He loves the system, but it is uh, uh, there's a couple of things there that did not work. What was well, he trying to do with it? When you go into the SDK and start extending the functionality. No, he was, it was just user, just user interface with Visual Studio and, uh, and the way the add-in was working. There was a couple of things that it simply didn't, didn't cook up correctly. Was he using the pen or was he using a mouse? I think he was using the pen and some of the motions uh, and the UI and the add-in apparently were not uh, set up correctly so you could drag and drop things onto the, the reporting services, that sort mm. of thing. It was just kind of a goofy thing. I, well, I don't relish the concept of trying to program with ink. <laughs> One of the things that people usually talk to me about when they ask me what I think about my tablet is, okay, so how is it for development? And the thing is about tablets, you know, they're about as much a developer machine as a smartphone. You know, it's it, these things right. are for the users. And, and while you're going to have to do some development on the tablet, it's not necessarily where you're going to want to do all your development at all. You're right. going to want to do your inking testing on the tablet and everything, but it's not a dev machine and it's not a work machine. It's a, it's a user machine. So, no, I use it. I opinion. use it when I'm traveling, mm -hmm. but I but then I'll program mm -hmm. on it when I'm traveling. But I certainly wouldn't sure. do that full time. Yeah, at home you'd you'd never want to do that because that's what a lot of people ask me. They say, "Okay, but great. So how is it as a dev machine?" Well, bloody awful would mm. probably be the answer because that's really not what it's for. It's for flipping into tablet mode and going and sitting down and I don't know, like Encarta surfing or filling out a form or reading an ebook or or doing some of these math programs that they have, you know, where you're writing things out like you were talking about, Julie. Um, it's all, tablets are all about the user and yeah. the developer yeah, Definitely is, is just there to make it happen. So, yeah, much more user-oriented than any other in large uh, form factor. Well, the problem that, that Peter faced is that when he went to the field, went to a demo and so forth, he wanted to take the tablet with him as his only laptop. Right. He went to the field and he's trying to demonstrate mm -hmm. uh, reporting services and, and it didn't work, sure. and that's what the, that's the problem. Yeah. So he had to, yeah. he, he didn't couldn't afford to have two laptops. John's coming to Vermont in a couple of weeks. Maybe I'll let him play with my tablet PC when he comes here to talk to my user group. Maybe I'll make you do the presentation on our on the tablet, John. Ooh, Julie, I I would love to play with your tablet. But Julie, I was I was I was going to ask that. So with what is coming in Win Windows XP SP two. Am I going to want to get a digitizer for my desktop machine? You know, forget about the, the tablet. Is that going to be uh, It'll, that'll give you everything input into my desktop machine? Absolutely. And cool. when you and and you'll have the operating system installed right there. Cool. And, you know, it, it gets comes down as part of SP2. So, Don, what are you going to talk about when you come to speak at Vermont.net? I'm going to talk about security and least privilege. And I've been enjoying some of your, your blog entries, Julie, about the, the throes of going through converting your system to least privilege. 
know, it really is oh, really yeah. related to good development, but um, there's serious challenges with the state of Windows right now. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's been painful. And, I've been, and, and I'm looking forward to that. So that's I, I haven't been to Vermont in years, and my my last best memory of Vermont was having pancakes with Vermont maple syrup. If you need filler, I'll tell you about taking my cat to the vet earlier this week. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. <laughs> oh, you want to you want to hear about my cat story? Yeah. All right. So I, I have this cat. We we you know we got the cat when it was a nice, cute little kitten, and it keeps growing as cats often do. And uh, you know, it came time to take it to the vet for its rabies shot this week. So uh, my wife comes to get me and says, you know. We need your help because the cat won't fit in the uh, in the pet carrier. It's just too big. So I come in and and sure enough, it, you know, you couldn't get this cat in there, and you could tell the cat was already seriously disturbed uh, by her efforts to get it in the in the pet carrier. Mm. So we call the vet and go, you know, hey, do you guys have a pet carrier we can borrow because they're like 15 minutes, you know, away from our appointment. Right. And uh, the vet says, no, no, but what you can do is get a pillowcase and put the cat in a pillowcase. <laughs> That's how I used to take my cat around to the vet in Brooklyn. Is that right? Well, you know, she said this This is a technique that you that, that really works. You know, the cat will be calm. And uh, huh. apparently that works on every cat but mine. Uh, I think it was so agitated, you know, by the time uh, we, we brought a pillowcase out and, you know, the four members of my family... Uh, all working in unison, we're, we're unable to get it in the pillowcase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we wound up throwing it in the back of my my truck, and uh, and I, I drove drove over to the vet's office. So. You have a cab on the truck? Well, no, it's a CRV. I mean, oh, it's a okay. closed vehicle, so we we just put it in the back. And, uh, <laughs> <Put it> in. <laughs> yeah, driving over there, he was you know like running around screaming. Uh, I've got hair all over the vehicle and me. Uh, hmm. So, so that that was my cat story for the week. Well, you should have uh, shaved it, it first. Cake. What's that? You should have shaved it first. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I've had someone threaten <laughs> to shave my cat if I didn't stop talking about C plus plus developers. <laughs> I, I hear that's really hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, shave a cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Kathleen. Uh-huh. Last time you were on the show, we were talking about code generation. You're you uh, still still working on that, obviously. You right. said something about doing some training on custom code generation. Yeah, um, I'm doing a. Um, been working with several clients and got a couple of things planned. Where I'm, I'm working with a team of developers on their own code. So we we're actually building their application, but we're doing it in a room um, with a projector. So it's sort of group programming and sort of training. So what I'm able to mm. do is give them both .NET expertise and code generation expertise in a context that makes sense to them. And so. Um, I've been you know, doing a little bit of that, and it's fabulous fun. I'm just absolutely loving it. And finding that uh, different people work differently. And so I'll, I'll let the keyboard wander around the room. I use a wireless keyboard and let whoever needs to be typing type, and which gives me the freedom to talk. So I kind of get free. It's kind of like a here. wiki. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really kind of cool, and everybody's focused. In one case, in fact, we had the manager in the room because we needed some fast decisions, and he sat there doing email, completely ignoring us until we needed a decision. And then it was like, Ted, wake up, and he'd give us a decision in a minute, and we'd be rolling again. It was awesome. Hmm. So that's been just tons of fun, and um, it's been a lot of what I've been doing lately. Um, I also have another client that I'm doing a little bit more long-term stuff with, but um, it's been a whole lot of fun working with other people, uh, picking it up, kind of on a. Do you see uh, any new uh, tools in in uh, the Whidbey? time frame that help your cause of code generation or, or make things easier for you? 
Well, we're moving forward. Um, you know, different people are moving forward in different ways, and so some of what Microsoft's doing is not quite where I think maybe we should be going, but that's a good thing, I think, because a lot of people are thinking. Uh, partial classes are good for some context. They're not going to change code generation in a big way mm. because we still need the uh, control we get from derived classes where we mm. can say exactly what we're going to override by choice, um, even in the future after you know we're done designing the code, so as we do maintenance. Mm. Um, but there's some good things in there. Partial classes are good. Generics are certainly good. That's going to uh, make certain I mean, makes code generation better as well as anything else. And then some of what they're doing with um, with the, the building classes and all is a good direction. It just doesn't give the I don't think it gives the programmer enough control yet. I really like programmers ha being able to change their templates now or in the future right. as their needs change. Yeah, and Kathleen, um, slow down a bit, but uh, t tell more. You've done some serious work since the show about uh, morphing. Some I of have. the changes to the actual code generation. What's yeah, the, the whole object relational mapping stuff, I've, I've yanked out from what I put in the book, and I've rewritten it. I'm currently in beta on that, trying to look for you know enough databases to run it against that I think that we're ready to go on it. Um, but I, I rewrote that, and I'm, I'm really happy with the new version. Um, the first one it was XML to XML, so I was going to use XSLT, and it was just an incredibly difficult uh, process. I mean, if you can imagine doing object relational mapping in XSLT, that, that was what I did. Yeah. And uh, that's what I've yanked out now and replaced with real code. So that's been a lot of fun to write also. Hmm. Wow, that's cool. Uh, is, I just noticed that Dan Appleman joined us. Dan, are you there? Hey, Carl. How you doing? How are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. Glad you could join us. Thank you. Yeah, sorry I was a little bit late, but I was busy uh, working on some code and just lost track of the time. I know the feeling. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> That's all I've been doing this week is coding and losing track of time. What are you working on? Well, honestly, this summer I'm spending most of my time uh, traveling. I'm, I'm doing something I've never done with any of my other books. I'm actually doing book tours. So I'm actually tra traveling around the country and meeting people and doing radio and TV and all that kind of stuff. It's a very strange experience. Going to be on Larry King anytime soon? Um, I don't know. That would be nice. Uh, <laughs> I'd really like to be on Jon Stewart. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. So if any of you listeners out there know his, his uh, booker, let me know. So what, uh, what kind of um, talk shows and things have you been showing up on? Well, most recently I was on uh, KGO, which is a local San Francisco talk radio. That was yesterday. Cool. And... Uh, you know, it's it's really been interesting because this is my first consumer book. You know, always use protection, and it's for consumer security. And it's sort of, you know, it's been a while since I've talked to real people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we spend so much time talking to developers, and, and I'm out there talking to sort of ordinary computer users. And, uh, you know, I really feel for them. Yesterday I was apologizing to, uh, I was at a book signing, and I was apologizing to everybody there on behalf of all software developers for, you know, really the terrible job we've done on security and, and some of the practices we have in terms of upgrades and, yeah. and, and license agreements and, you know, so on. Um, I've decided that, that if we want the government to help our industry, what they should do is, is, you know, we don't need laws on viruses and we don't need laws on porn. What we need is a law that limits the length of any software license agreement to two paragraphs in plain English. <laughs> That's a good idea. And and that would completely revolutionize uh, the computer industry. It would be fantastic. And be forced to make it comprehensible. Of, of, of all the people who I've met at these signings, not one, I mean, not a single one when asked, has said that they've read a license agreement. 
Yeah. Well, what's the point? You either say yes and use the software or you say no and don't use it. Exactly. So, <laughs> so you know, you need to use the software. You're going to, you're going to accept whatever they say. So, yeah, so I don't, I don't know where everyone out there is, but you know, come look at my website and see where I'm going to be and come and say hello because, uh, you know, this is, uh, that's sort of half the fun is meeting friends in all the various places I'm visiting. Are you coming yeah, to Atlanta could... anytime soon? Uh, not Atlanta. I'm going to be in DC is as close as I get to that. That's in September. And you're coming to but Boston I'm... too, right? I am going to be up in Boston and uh, Connecticut and New York and do that East Coast thing. I'm going to be up in Portland and Seattle later, later this month, Indianapolis next week, week after that, Southern California. So definitely cool. they're sending me around. Dan, I think it's really interesting that you're crossing into the consumer space with this. Well, it's it's desperately needed. I mean, you know, in a way, we need more software professionals, you know, people who are in this industry to, to be out there talking to the people who are using our products. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a real eye-opener for me. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I'm talking to, uh, you know, everyone from teenagers to grandmothers. Because, you know, even though it is a book for for teenagers, I found that a lot of the adults and grandparents and so on uh, really like it as well. So that's been most very fun. Most of us are used to doing this because we're, you know, tech support for our families and, our and you know, we, we email our friends when viruses come out and just try to make sure they understand what, you know, the different messages are that are coming or when there's a uh, a spam message that sounds like it's a virus and it's going to trick them and it's taking advantage of them. So it's it's nice to just kind of take that knowledge that we have and our ability to communicate and translate for them. And and so it, so I like I like what you're doing with that. Thank you. But you know I've also noticed that a lot of people have picked up their security information piecemeal. So you know they they know a little bit here and a little bit there, but they're sort of missing some of the big picture and that leaves holes in their knowledge. And of course, all it takes is one hole and, uh, and uh, you get vulnerable there and and problems start happening. So, you know, one of the things I've been trying to do is, is encourage people to really take the time to, to learn security, you know, take a day and actually learn this stuff. It doesn't take any longer than that to dramatically increase your overall security. So, yeah. Do you think the new release of, uh, XP is going to help them out? Well, I, I think there's two things going to happen with the new release of XP, and, I, and I'm just speculating here because I haven't really played much with it, but I think that uh, it's going to dramatically improve the security of systems, but a whole bunch of people are going to yell and scream and not use it because of the things that's going to break. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a double-edged sword there, I think. Right. And we were talking about that a while ago when we were talking with you about your book, is that, you know, the printer doesn't work. Well, we'll just turn the firewall off and it'll work. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll turn the firewall. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, a lot depends on how, what happens when XP hits the real world of real people, you know, who right now are, you know, many of them are still running Windows 98 and have older systems and they already have a bunch of gunk on their system. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, I think Microsoft is making a big mistake by not allowing the service pack to install on hacked versions of XP, though. I mean, I understand, but at the same time, I think uh, they should. Uh, I think they should let the upgrade happen because uh, it will improve our overall security if they did. Yeah. What uh, how, this book came out just a few months ago, right? And how are the sales yeah. doing? 
Well, you know, it's always hard to know with books. We're on the second printing now, which is very nice. That's good. Um, you know, that's always encouraging. Uh, you know, but as I say, it's it's very it's very hard to say because you don't know how many of them are sitting on the shelves and True. how many of them have actually made it into people's houses yet. True. And it's going to take some time before we really know that. What's your sense of how it's doing? Uh, my sense is it's going well and that it's it's gaining momentum. Yeah. So, you know, I'm beginning to get more feedback, more word of mouth, more traffic on the website, you know, more inquiries, people coming in with questions. Um, so I think we're definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely making some progress. And the very gratifying thing is that everybody who's read it loves it. You know, all the reviewers who've looked at it and said, you know, this is great. Uh, so, you know, it's sort of feedback that lets me know that I actually did a quality piece of work, which is, you know, you never know that really for sure until you get people in the real world coming back to you and, and telling you that. True. And have you thought about um, addressing any other sectors like, um, I don't know exactly what you call it, but uh, safe computing for the, for the uh, older generation? We have a lot of people that started into computing pretty late in life and use it strictly for social and informational reasons that I'm having a really hard time, at least with my family, uh, getting them to understand some basic concepts at all. Well, you know, that's, that's a funny thing. I actually got an email just uh, last week. And, and the email went, I'm a 65-year-old grandmother, and at first I wasn't going to get this book because it said it was for teens, but then I got it, and I love it. And now my computer's all secure, and I'm browsing the web, and I know I, I have everything together. And, uh, you know, I think to a certain degree what's happening is the people who might have, you know, otherwise looked for, you know, a, a for dummies book or something, but they don't like that because they're not dummies. They're getting this one because they say, well, you know, if it's good enough for teens, it's good enough for me, right? You know, if, if obviously a book written for teens is something I'd be able to understand. Hmm. And uh, so That's you know, a good there, point. there does definitely seem to be a substantial crossover to adults, uh, which of course is delightful. All right. The youth uh, minister at our church, who is fairly non-technical, read it, and uh, he was completely delighted with it. Yeah, I've also given given it to the to the youth group kids at my church, and uh, they loved it too. Yeah, so you know it it works. You know, once people get it in their in their hands and read it, they're you know they're enjoying it. It's an easy read. Uh, you know, there's actually a, if you're interested, there's a quiz up on on the AlwaysUseProtection.com website now that that I encourage people to try and and try their hand at it. It it looks easy, but uh, I don't think anybody's gotten all twelve right yet. Because it really does sort of play on uh, on some of the the myths in security uh, and and some of the common knowledge that's actually incorrect. So, uh, you know, I go to signings now and I offer people like uh, a chance to win a gift certificate if they get them all right, and nobody's won yet. Hmm. <laughs> I'd be glad to, I'd be glad to give away the certificates. I'd, I'd love to have some people getting it correct. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Do you cover operating systems other than Windows, or is it strictly Windows? Uh, the computer protection part is strictly Windows. Okay. Because, you know, let's face it, you know, if you're running a Mac, you're not really too worried about viruses right now. You know, that might change if a whole bunch of people start using Macs or, or Linux or so on. Uh, but, you know, the other parts, which are the privacy and the identity theft and, and online safety issues, really do apply across uh, different operating systems. Yeah, it's sort of sort of common sense thing things in there too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of it's common sense. A lot of it is taking all the common sense and putting it together in one place. And right. it sounds a little like Deborah's book, you know, 
great, you know, Windows.net secrets. You know, these are sort of security secrets. Uh, you know, the problem is that a lot of places they talk about security and they simply say, you know, use a firewall. And that's like telling someone drive safely. It doesn't mean anything unless you actually know what it means to drive safely and what are the individual practices that make up safe driving. Right. So, you know, it's the same thing with computer security. You have to understand, you know, what is that firewall really doing for you and when might you need to open it and how might you need to open it and, you know, where is it vulnerable and things like that. Do you think people need to start memorizing port numbers? Oh, no, you can look those up. Well, but, but yeah, you look them up, but where do you look you know, them up? I mean, it isn't, well, I mean, you know, that's where, where Google is useful. Uh, yeah. You know, every teen in the world knows that Battle.net's port 5192, you know, things like that. Right. So, yeah, I've I've been in that situation where I needed to find a port and couldn't find it. And it's just infuriating, you know, where you need to find, you know, some of the more basic ones aren't just, just not out there anywhere, easily found. And and this is actually another another place where, you know, I was mentioning earlier, I was apologizing to the world on behalf of software developers. Uh I apologize on behalf of the world, on behalf of uh, game developers, right. because uh, you know there are a lot of games out there, online games that they they require impossible firewall settings. You know, they say, "Oh yeah, we'll just open ten thousand ports," you right. know, right. Uh, and and they should be ashamed of themselves. And you know, Microsoft, any of you guys, if there are any Microsoft people who are working on games, shameful, shame on you. It's terrible. Well, what's uh, the alternative for them? They, the game doesn't the, work. No, the kudos, the kudos are, for example, Blizzard, yeah. you know, one port. That's all you need. You don't need a bunch of ports, maybe 10 ports or something, if you, you know, if you need to do that for your right. multi-user. But, but that's it. That's it. Hmm. You know, you don't want to set up situations where you have multiple TCP and multiple UDP ports. Use one <laughs> port. Use two ports. You know what I've noticed? Right, it's, it's a lot of apps that use the Microsoft Direct Play system are the ones that, you know, need a million ports open. Not to yeah. say anything bad about Direct Play. Direct Play was great when it was invented before everybody was behind NAT. But, you know, for example, I have an old video game that I play that uses Direct Play. And I was reading, you know, a site on if you want to host this game and you're behind a NAT router, you have to... If you have this version of Direct Play, you need to open up these ports. If you have this version of Direct Play, you need to open up those ports. And it's like, you know, it seems to be one of the cases where, you know, Microsoft has made things easier for developers, which is great, but they, in the in the long run, they've made it more difficult for the users. Yeah. And, and, well, as I say, this is a case where, you know, shame on Microsoft, because other people use DirectX and Direct Play, and they don't require a million ports. So mm. it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's not even Microsoft. It's the game developer's fault games in for general, not yeah. thinking about this. Uh, and it's not all the games. It's just some of them. You know, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of games that do understand and limit their port use and define it clearly and, and so on. Uh, but it's important because NAT is really important. It's one of the best protections that people have. It's also one of the best ways to conserve IP addresses, which is de deathly needed or was deathly needed. Right. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, when you're at a home, home systems, which is where, who are buying the games, you've got a DSL, which is usually a dynamic IP anyway, and you have a home network. So, you know, what you really want is even if you have one computer, you want to use NAT to give you that firewall protection. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so the... yes, all developers out there, if you're developing anything peer-to-peer, -peer, online gaming, anything like that, just one port. You know, that's just, sort of like 
like the just say no. That's our new saying, just one port. Right. Just write better protocols. You know, you can write protocols that use one port. Absolutely. Done it. Yeah, yeah you did. World yeah. train. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's a little secret that only you and I know about. <laughs> Nobody else in the developer world knows about World Train. But uh, yeah, that was yeah. just a, a single port. It was yeah, a simple was a protocol, bit, but you know. A, a little bit ahead of its time, and its time probably still hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Well, who's still out there? Let me take a poll. Kathleen's still here. Kathleen, Mark. Yeah, I'm still here. Mark, you still there. Absolutely. And, and uh, Don left. Because the fires were killing him, Julie left because it started uh, thundering and lightninging, lightninging, and uh, she had to go batten down the hatches. And uh, Scott left a long time ago. And, there, uh, there are fires going on. Yeah, in Alaska, apparently Fairbanks oh is forest fires. Sounds like California. That's what I said. Yeah, he said there's this big thick smoke everywhere, and I said ah, it's kind of like living in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I tell everyone. You know, here in California, we have perfect weather. We pay for it in the form of wildfires, earthquakes, and all sorts of other natural disasters. But we have perfect weather. Well, listen, guys, those of you that are left, uh, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show and uh, in, uh, with this roundtable speakers lounge uh, discussion. And let's do it again real soon. All right. Uh, Always a pleasure, Carl. Mark, you have any last minute uh, words of wisdom? Hey, guess who I ran into in Montgomery, Alabama last week? Who? Tim Huckabee. He was there uh, doing a user group talk. Cool. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. He he showed them uh, a mapping program. I think the name of it was Keyhole. Hmm. Have you heard about that? No. Isn't that the satellite one? Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, he said, hey, Mark, what's your address up in Atlanta? And I told him, and... Uh, he like zoomed in on my house. You could see the the house, the yard. It was. Isn't uh, that like Terra server, or is this a real satellite? Uh, I'm not sure. You know how all of it works. Huh. But uh, I know the the data looked a lot better in a city. I mean, you could you could really zoom in and see the streets in a city. Wow. It was higher resolution, but it it was simply incredible. Cool. Well, send me a link to that. I will. I'll have to get it from him. But that that's something you you guys need to talk about when you get him on again. Okay. Sure. Kathleen, you have any uh, last-minute words of closing words? No, it was great being on tonight. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Oh, you bet. Dan, always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, thank you. I don't know that I have anything to add at this point other than I <laughs> hope to see people uh, during my travels. Yeah, I hope to see when you when you come to Boston and hang out well, with I us. Have, I have plenty of time in Boston because I'm going to be at the World Science Fiction Convention. So yeah. I'm going to actually be there for like four or five days. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely hook up. All right. Cool. We'll, we'll see you guys later. So uh, on behalf of Dan Appleman, Kathleen Dollard, Mark Dunn, Scott Hanselman, Pat Hines, Don Kiley, Julie Lerman, Rory Blythe, Jeff Maciolik on the sound, and myself, I'd like to thank you for listening to this great episode of Dotnet Rocks and tuning in every week as you do. It's because of you that we do this. So keep, keep rocking. <laughs>